Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. Been a while since we talked to you last, and I apologize for that. We had some uh, technology issues as we've tried to record, but everything should be squared away now. And if it's not, you're not going to hear this anyway. So everything is squared away, and we are ready to resume our regular programming. I am joined today by Chris Schutte, my co-editor, and we are here to talk about what is set to be a huge weekend in college basketball. This will be the final weekend of the regular season for a lot of the smaller conferences. They'll get their conference tournaments going next week. So a lot to play for down the stretch here as teams are kind of getting into position for seeding, trying to bolster out large resumes in a couple of cases. Uh, and in some cases, just trying to keep their seasons alive and qualify for their conference tournaments. So lots going on. Uh, Chris, we'll start with the one conference that actually concludes on Friday. It's probably the conference we've talked about the most on this podcast over the last few weeks, uh, just because it's been the most interesting. And that's the A-Sun. Um, right now, Lipscomb and Liberty are tied at 13-2 and two each with one game left um they split their regular season so the tiebreaker i believe it would go to how the teams performed against the third place team which right now is north florida liberty lost to north florida and lipscomb has swept them so right now it looks like lipscomb would own the tiebreaker of course that's subject to change because North Florida is not locked into that spot at third. They're nine and seven right now. And JIT and Gulf Coast are right behind at eight and seven. And Gulf Coast has defeated Lipscomb. Did I get the? Yeah, Gulf Coast defeated Lipscomb. So in other words, no no one knows who, who the one seed's going to be. That entire conference is pretty jumbled up. So it's going to make for a fun Friday. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because both Lipscomb and Liberty have had you know, their own respective chances to kind of take control and assert themselves and kind of lock up that one seed. Um, Lipscomb obviously relinquished that when they lost to Liberty and then Gulf Coast. And then Liberty kind of blew it over the weekend when they lost to North Florida. So it's going to be interesting watching how that plays out. And obviously, honestly, the rest of that league too, just because there's a lot of congestion there in the middle. I think earlier today, you're either talking about it on Twitter and Slack that how, there's not really any seeds locked up in that conference yet. Is that correct? Or was there one that's... Um, that is what I said, and then I was corrected. Uh, Jacksonville is locked into the seven seed. Gotcha. Um, so they'll play the two. Uh, so something interesting that I wanted to get your take on in this conference, they're at nine teams, and it's something... You, you see a lot of these smaller conferences have really weird tournament formats, uh, it's a way to try to make sure that their one or two seed is the team that gets the automatic bid, of course, increasing their chances of winning a game. Um, this year, the tournament is staying at eight teams, as it has been over the last few years, even though they're now at nine total in the conference. And that's odd because rather than having every team that's eligible for the NCAA tournament make it, they will instead knock out the lowest team, which will either be Stetson or Kennesaw State, and North Alabama, which cannot get the auto bid because they're a transitional member to Division One, will have a chance to play in this tournament. If somehow North Alabama were to win, uh, I believe the auto bid would go to the regular season champion. So kind of an interesting dynamic here. Mace, I'm wondering how you feel about that, if that's how you would have done things or if you would have just made North Alabama sit out for the year and given all of the eligible teams a chance. I mean, it's interesting because we were talking about this earlier, trying to remember different situations in which that was the case. And I think you brought up, it was an APR issue in which there was a team that wasn't eligible for the postseason, but I believe so was playing in the, the championship. I, I, I'm going like back and forth on whether I like this or not. Because on one hand, I like that North Alabama is getting the chance to participate in the tournament just because I think that 
you know, for a school that's new to Division One, I, I think being able to participate in the postseason and kind of maybe build a little bit of national like recognition would be good for any program in that situation. But like the issue I posed or posed earlier in in Slack was say like North Alabama and Liberty are playing in the championship game. If Liberty loses that game and like Lipscomb would get the the bid if Lipscomb was the regular season champion, like I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like at what like why even bother playing the game if there's nothing for North Alabama to lose and everything for Liberty to lose. Yeah, it's it's really weird and the odds of that happening are slim anyway. Right. Um I think the potential reward for North Alabama maybe outweighs the risk that the conference takes just because North Alabama gets to play a couple of higher profile games, maybe ones that people will tune into just because the ASUN is the first conference to start its tournament. So maybe people, I, I know this is the case for me. I'll be really excited for postseason basketball. So I'll be watching. Yeah. So you, you get a few extra eyeballs on their program and really what's, what what are you losing by excluding Kennesaw State, which is two games behind Stetson right now? So actually, at two games behind Stetson, they won't qualify. So I guess that's locked up. Stetson would be the eight seed. Uh, Kennesaw State has already said that they will not bring Al Skinner back next year. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be changeover in that program anyway. Uh, what? what are you really losing by having them end their season a game earlier rather than in a blowout loss to Lipscomb or Liberty? Yeah. What I wonder if like a a solution to this type of situation would be for um, North Alabama to like play a play in game against like Kennesaw state. If like that would be a, a better solution to a, a situation like this, would that be unfair? Like it'd be a little unfair to North Alabama considering they're, I mean, they're in sixth place, but rather than excluding one team that's eligible in favor of a team that's not, like it seems like it would kind of be a little bit of a middle ground. Yeah, the I, I guess the struggle that the conference has is that if you add a ninth team, you have to add an extra day to the tournament, mm-hmm. and then you're stretching it out more and you're making teams travel more probably than they would like to with their budgets. Um, I wonder if in the future they'll uh, go to nine teams, uh, maybe when North Alabama is fully eligible or whatever, maybe they go to nine teams and what they do is they play that eight, nine game kind of as a play in. And then the one seed hosts, the quarterfinal, semifinal, and finals. That mm-hmm. that might be a solution to it, um, or maybe, you know, m- maybe the top four teams really want those home games, and they just add the extra day. I I don't know. I I think, if I recall correctly, in terms of conference membership changes, this all kind of came together rather quickly. Yeah. For the A Suns, I'm not sure how much they were able to plan in advance for this. Um, but it's it's just an interesting thing. It, we're harping on it a lot. It probably doesn't make a whole lot of a difference. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's something, it's interesting and something to keep an eye on, especially if, you know, North Alabama rips off a win or two. Yeah. Um, I think, like, going back to what you said about either extending it a day or having one team host, I, I know the Summit League has switched to that, that same format where they exclude the ninth team, but they play they play their tournament at a neutral right. site. So I think if, if it's going to, I think that format works out really well, but I mean, like you said, the A-Sun probably kind of had to throw this together kind of haphazardly and maybe a year or two down the road, once there's a little bit more stability in terms of, you know, conference realignment and how many teams are going to actually be in it. There might finally come to a more solidified resolution to it. All right. So, Moving on to the Big South, which is the next conference. Uh, they wrap up play on Saturday. Right now, Radford is in first place with an 11-3 and conference record. They have two games remaining. I believe every team, uh, except for a couple, plays Wednesday and then Saturday. Looks like a couple teams play Thursday instead. Um, but Campbell is one game behind them 
Winthrop a game and a half. I think the uh, section of college basketball fandom that knows enough about the mid-major world to know who Chris Clemens is really wants Campbell to win this tournament so that they could see him in an NCAA tournament situation. I assume you are on that train as well. Yeah. I mean, not, not to take away anything from like a Radford or a Winthrop, but in terms of just pure excitement factor, I think it would be, I would think it would be great for not only Campbell and the big South, but college basketball as a whole to see, I mean, one of college basketball's all time greatest scorers get a chance in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I mean, he, he is one of college basketball's all time greatest scorers. And there are a lot of people who don't follow college basketball on a day-to-day basis who don't know his name. And that's unfortunate. So that, that would be exciting. Campbell's not a great team. They're not a team that, you know, I would probably say, you know, here's your Cinderella, but if, Clemens goes off, you know, they, they could be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a, I mean, with a guy like that, there's always, there's always the possibility that he just gets red hot. And I mean, he's perfectly capable of carrying a team to like, he would, they would probably get slotted into like a, a 15 or 16. See, he's the type of guy that could drop 30 or 35 and make, make one of those top seats sweat for a while. Yeah. Uh, and at the very least, he'd just be fun to watch. And not to take right. anything away from Radford, who is 19 and 9, and they have one of the best players in the conference um, on their end. And Ed Poli, this uh, senior forward double double machine who could give you, you know, 20 and 10 pretty much any night. He's maybe not as electric as Clemens is, doesn't get the same accolades, but he would certainly deserve another crack at an NCAA tournament win. Radford was a 16 seed last year. They beat LIU Brooklyn in the first four and then got, got stomped by Villanova. Yeah. And It'd I be mean, nice to see him. And they beat a couple good teams this year. I mean, they beat a Texas team that a lot of people are saying is on the bubble. Um, they, and they beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame who sucks, but I mean, that's a, that's a power five win. You're not going to scoff at that. Yeah, you, you don't need a whole lot if you're on the 15 or 16 line to like bump you up to a 15 right? or maybe a lower 14. And those wins could certainly do it if if Radford is the team that makes it. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else we got. We have the CAA also ending play on Saturday. Um, I think Hofstra is going to be the favorite. I don't think they've locked up the one seed. No, yeah, they, they haven't. They're, they're up a game kind of struggling lately. They yeah, they have been. They lost to James Madison 104 to 99 in overtime last Saturday. That is their second loss in three games. They also lost at UNC Wilmington. That's a really bad loss. Mm-hmm. Um a little concerning maybe. Uh team may have maybe hit a little bit of a wall. Um it's unfortunate. I think once the tournament starts they're going to going to be the favorite anyway um they are still my pick because if i'm unsure you know you you have uh hofstra northeastern and charleston all pretty good teams i kind of default to pick the team with the best player and that's justin wright foreman Mm -hmm. and correct me if i'm wrong is this tournament played uh in charleston's home arena yes Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it has been every year. Right. I'm pretty sure it is this year as well. Yeah, so that that's an interesting wrinkle because I know we, a lot of us were pretty high on Charleston coming into the year. They've been inconsistent at times, but I mean, a team with that type of talent playing on their home court, that's always going to be an interesting wrinkle. And obviously, they're they're a team that has that made the tournament last year too, so they've they've got the experience with some of those guys on the roster. They they do here. Here's, I guess, maybe a an extra little wrinkle that might help Hofstra. So Charleston is locked into the three seed. So if Hofstra gets that one seed, they wouldn't have to face Charleston until the title game. And presumably, Charleston would have to beat, I don't know, the, the sixth seed in the first game, and then Northeastern, and then Hofstra. And knocking those two off on consecutive nights, even if they're both at home, that's a pretty tough ask. Yeah. And I, that that's always one of the, I think the biggest 
things to keep an eye on in in these tournaments is not who gets the onesie, but which, especially in these conferences that have you know three, four, or five teams all competing for those top spots, which teams get slotted into that two three matchup. Yeah, um, because you're going to have to win two consecutive really tough games yep. instead of just one. Uh, I, I think I'm going to let you go off for a minute on the Horizon League. What what should we know about that? <laughs> Not a whole lot set in stone yet. Um, Wright State and Northern Kentucky were kind of, they were tied heading into the weekend and then Northern Kentucky actually lost to a Cleveland State team that's struggled a lot this year. Um, they're not going to make the tournament. The, the Horizon League is another league that doesn't bring every team. I believe they only take the top eight. So right now, I think the the field of eight is locked in. Milwaukee and Cleveland State um, are excluded. But I don't think any team is really locked into a seed yet. I'm looking at the standings. Um, Wright State has a game lead on Northern Kentucky uh, with two to play. There's three teams tied at nine and seven in third. Um, my beloved IEPY Jaguars are in sixth at eight and eight. And then Youngstown State and Detroit are at, at eight and nine and seven, nine um, respectively. So th- there's going to be a lot of movement here in the last week. And it, this was one of the leagues that I highlighted um, in that post I did last week about races to keep an eye on just because there's so much up for grabs and there could be so much movement that's going to come down to the last day. And, this is a league that has had some like lower seeds make runs to the the championship games in years past. And I I think it's not, it's a deep league in the sense that I think anybody can beat anybody. And I think that's going to make for a really exciting tournament. Um, The the most important thing um, early on is going to be which teams get the top four seeds because those teams will get to host um, the quarterfinals before it, the semifinals and championship game uh, are played in Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. So going to be fun to watch. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that, and hopefully IEPY cracks the top four so I can go to one of their games next week. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you, and you kind of touched on this, about how you know lower-seeded teams make runs in this tournament for mm-hmm. some reason. Last year, eight seed Cleveland State went to the title game. Uh, year before that, four seed Northern Kentucky beat ten seed Milwaukee. Four seed Green Bay won it the year before that. Uh, what? Give me a team that is not Northern Kentucky or Wright State that you could maybe see winning it. I, I honestly, I could make a case for every single one of these teams. Like I would. Like, I'm by. I, somebody asked me this on Twitter today, and I said IEPY, and they're like, wrong. I was like, well, like, obviously, I'm not taking this seriously right now. I don't know the bracket. so. But I think one team that I, I really enjoy watching outside of um, IEPY is Green Bay. They play up and down. They they really push the tempo. They've got a really, really talented kind of do-it-all player in Sandy Cohen, who's a Marquette transfer. He's just a real, real big wing and I think they're a team that could, um, you know, give a team like Wright State or Northern Kentucky trouble. But, I mean, e- each of these teams has players that are capable of getting hot. And I, I would not be surprised at, at how this shakes out in, in any fashion. All right. The, the one conference that ends its season on Sunday is also the one that is the most bunched up in the standings. And that is the Mac, the Mac, the chief league, the Metro Atlantic athletic conference. Listen, I'm just going to read the standings because that is good pod podcast content. This is my favorite, favorite one to to look at last week. Listen to this. Iona is in first place at 11 and six. After that, a four way tie for second at 10 and six between Ryder, Quinnipiac, Sienna, and Canisius. Monmouth is at nine and eight. Marist and Manhattan are both seven and nine, and then Fairfield, Niagara, and St. Peter's are all five and eleven. That is incredible. The best part about it is that Ken Prom projects the top five to all finish eleven and seven. Yeah, so someone who's smarter than me can figure out who would get the tiebreaker at that point. Um, I assume what they do is they then break it down into like a five-team mini conference, and whoever has the best record 
against each other among those yeah. five teams gets the one seed or whatever. Uh, it, but it, regardless, it's absolutely insane. Um, I kind of default to picking Iona just because they're Iona and mm-hmm. they always seem to come through. Um, I'm interested in watching how Sienna performs. Not only is the tournament on their home court, but they have point guard and freshman extraordinaire Jalen Pickett, mm-hmm. one of the best freshmen in the country, as we've been told on Twitter and, you know, as, as the stats will read, um, he, it's, he deserves the chance in the spotlight. So looking forward to seeing him, um, it's, it's going to be a fun tournament. We're actually going to have Ray Curran up there, uh, covering it live for us. So be sure to check in with Ray on all of his updates from the Mac. Mac. <laughs> uh, the Missouri Valley is also oh, incredibly bunched up not quite to the extent actually kind of quite to the extent that that the valley is because right now and we're recording this wednesday night before all of the wednesday games have gone final um but as it stands right now at 9 43 p.m uh loyola chicago and drake are both 10 and 6 missouri state's 10 and 7 northern iowa's 9 and 7 illinois illinois state is 9 and 8 southern illinois and bradley are both 8 and 8 so you have realistically four teams that could still win this conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. And we were saying what, two weeks ago that this was Loyola Chicago's conference. Once again, they had reasserted themselves and then all of a sudden here comes Drake, which I, I know they lost their most recent game, but they had won five out of six to kind of poke their head back into the race. And then Missouri state, as well, though, I guess they've dropped a couple. They're actually playing each other on Saturday. So it's possible that that could become the Missouri Valley championship game or regular season championship game, depending on what Loyola Chicago does. There's just there's so much up in the air uh, and it's going to make for a really fun Saturday. Yeah. And I, I, when I was doing my, the Q&A today on Twitter, somebody asked me who wins the Valley tournament and why I was like, how can you really have any confidence in any of these teams to like win, right. win three straight, given just how much of a mess the Valley has been, not just in the the conference play, but even in the non-conference section, there was like a lot of disappointment. Like you look at just like the overall records, almost everyone's hovering like right around 500. Yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe this is where, my guy Malik Yarbrough goes off in Illinois State, does it? It would be so fitting for it would this be to be the year that Illinois State finally like breaks through because they had that really good team um, a couple years back that ultimately didn't make it. Uh, they, they've obviously got the talent. They're very – we were pretty high on them coming into the year and just one of the most frustrating and disappointing teams all year. I It would be great content for them to <laughs> – to break through and make it i would i would enjoy it <laughs> all right we'll preview the rest of the conferences right after this all right we're back here on the mid-major madness podcast going through all of the conferences whose seasons wrap up this weekend trying to get an idea of what those races look like who's in a good position for conference tournament play uh next up Ending the season on Saturday, they play Thursday and on Saturday. It's the Northeast Conference. Um, right now, it looks like we know the eight teams that are going to be participating, although it's not quite locked in yet. Uh, Central Connecticut and Mount St. Mary's, as of now, are on the outside looking in. And because I am something of a Central Connecticut fan, I have tried to figure out what they have to do in order to make the tournament. And I've determined that they need to win their last two games against LIU Brooklyn and Fairleigh Dickinson. Bryant, who is right ahead of them needs to lose their last two games, which they are actually projected to do. And then they would be tied. And then in order for central Connecticut to get the tiebreaker, Fairleigh Dickinson would have to overtake St. Francis PA for first place. FDU is currently a half game back at 10. I'm sorry, one game back at 10 and six. St. Francis is 11 and five. So a lot needs to go right for me, but I'm kind of hoping for it. 
And and that's the most important thing about these conference tournaments is what do we want to see and what will please us the most. (laughs) That's what matters. Um, As of now, and again, this isn't locked in, but the hosts for the first round, the quarterfinals, would be St. Francis PA, Fairleigh Dickinson, Robert Morris, and Sacred Heart. Um, Good for Sacred Heart, by the way, that Anthony Latina has struggled to really put something together there, and they finally put in a really good effort in conference. They're 9-7, and 13-16 overall. If they get a chance to host a game, that'd be great for them. Uh, one thing we have seen from the Northeast Conference is that weird stuff happens in the quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Like, it is not uncommon to see the one or the two seed get knocked off on the first night. So that would be one that I would pay attention to uh, when that quarterfinal round comes about. It's just uh, things get weird. Is that one of the... What's the tournament format? Is it the highest seed hosts every yes each way? Okay. Yes. I kind of like it when when teams do that, just because it it provides a different look for each and every game rather than just the uniform location yeah. and, and atmosphere. I, I I like it too, and also that then you get the students that are really yeah. into it, and pretty much every gym will fill up for those games more so than you would see in the regular season. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. I was at the um, NEC championship game a few years ago, when St. Francis of Brooklyn hosted Robert Morris, a big uh, NMTC opportunity for St. Francis. They lost a close one, but I remember media was forced or at least most of the media was forced to watch the game on a TV in a separate room. They couldn't even fit them really? in the gym uh, because yeah, they've got such a small gym that it was packed with fans. And then they are not used to having so many media there. Yeah. So, I guess it's like a bunch of New York media that yeah. makes sense that it might get crowded. Yeah. So I assume what they did was they put their regulars um, and, I, and the heavy hitters on the, in the normal press row. And then everyone else like me was in the overflow, but it was, it was a whole lot of fun um, cramming so many people into such a small gym and just watching everyone go nuts, even though the home team lost. Yeah. And I think like, I think you really just touched on why I think the, the home team, like the schools hosting themselves work so well is even if a, a team doesn't really draw all that well in the regular season, like there's always a different atmosphere in in those conference tournament games. And those are the, those are the type of moments where like you'll see like a Chris Clemens could get hot at, like in front of a Campbell home crowd in the tournament and go off for a big number or like was last year's America East. Was that in Vermont's gym when Jairus Lyles hit that, that shot on their court? Yes. 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 It just makes for, for great theater like that. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the Ohio Valley. This one is a little different than the conferences that we've talked about over the last few minutes in that it is very clear who the best teams are. <laughs> Ob- uh, Murray State, clear. Yeah, obnoxiously clear. Murray State and Belmont are both 14 and 2. Jacksonville State and Austin P are both 13 and 3 right behind them. And then it's everybody else. And they, um, they have the weird bracket they, format too, don't they? They do. Like the ladder it's, format. Yeah, it, it's one of those brackets designed to make it as easy as possible for the one or the two seed to go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, and, and it, even though I obviously I don't like it because I, it's stupid. Um, Again, but I get why they do point. it. If we don't like it, it's bad. If we don't like it, it doesn't count. Um, but. I get why a conference like the Valley would do it because they usually do have a couple of actually good teams Mm -hmm. up at the top and then a whole lot of crap below it. And you want to protect the good teams because they could pull off an upset and earn your conference some more money in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, This year, kind of an interesting dynamic in that Belmont at 23 and four overall is starting to creep its way onto the bracketology, like next four out, first four out boards. And that that's going to be something interesting to watch because there's no guarantee they win that conference tournament. 
they have piled up a lot of good wins. Uh, getting swept by Jacksonville State, not great. Although Jacksonville yeah. State at Ken Palm 120 isn't awful. The loss to Green Bay hurts. Um, win over two wins over Lipscomb. That's pretty good. Win at UCLA. UCLA is trash, but it's still a power conference team. Uh, also wins over Illinois State. Uh, win at Sanford is actually a tier B win. Uh, wins at Murray. At Murray's a tier A win. And at Austin P is tier B. I don't have their team sheet up, so I, I don't know if that equates to like quad one or quad two. I'm just looking at their Ken Palm page. Yeah. Um, two and one in quadrant one wins and then three and one in quadrant two. So okay. They've got, they've got a decent, decent resume. And two quad three losses, I assume. Yep. Okay. Um, they, they have they're 50 in the net. So they're, they're creeping up that the S curve, like into that. Yeah. Like that at uh, large bubble discussion territory. Yeah. Um, they finished the regular season against Tennessee Martin and Southeast Missouri state. Uh, those should both be wins, even though they're both on the road. If they're not, then we could stop this bubble talk, I think. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting if they lose to say Murray state in the conference tournament, what kind of a look Belmont gets because they will have accumulated a pretty nice winning percentage yeah, maybe and, at what, 20, 28, 29 wins by then? Uh, it, it wouldn't be quite that much because it would be 25 going into the tournament. And then I think uh, they yep, would only yep. play I, three. I read the schedule wrong. Yeah. So, but what, whatever. Say they're, they're 26 or 27 and five. You know, wins matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I'll get blowback on Twitter for this because they'll say, yeah, but those wins are against. And sure, of course. Um, but winning percentage is still something that matters. Um, and the fact that Belmont has not lost since January 17th and has only lost once since January 4th, uh, that means something. Yeah, and that would be like that scenario you just lined out would be a good litmus test for the, do we take the mid-major that's piled up a ton of wins? Or we take, do we take the power five team that's barely above 500 and, but right. has X amount of opportunities. Right. And, and, and in the past, um, the knot has usually gone to the power five program. Yep. I don't know what Belmont's net would be in this case. We could actually check, um, Torvik does a projection, right? Yeah, yeah. You could uh, you could play around with it and see what it spits out. Yeah, if it ends up being around fifty, I'm not terribly confident. I think they'd probably have to get like into that, like forty. I think would be a good benchmark to really kind of be in that conversation. Right, and and of course, again, none of this happens in a bubble. We understand that it depends on what other teams do yeah. around them, how many bid stealers there are, that kind of thing. Um, but it's they're going to be one to watch, and I I think it'd be really unfortunate if they end up getting left out because, say, UCLA and Western Kentucky both woefully underperform this year. Yeah, and that that's one of the things that. I mean, there's countless other teams that this happens to. You schedule in the preseason thinking that these teams are going to be good and could potentially help you down the line. And I mean, you, you play who's on your schedule and hope that it still looks good at the end of the year. Um, in Belmont's case, it didn't. But you could also look on the flip side and see that those two wins against Lipscomb probably look better now than they expected them to before the year. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. And I'm I'm glad that they scheduled that home and home. Yeah, I hope that's a regular occurring thing. I kind of like I kind of like the playing twice in one year, especially for schools like Lipscomb and Belmont, who are literally in the same same city. <laughs> right. Um, Patriot League is up next. Want to give a quick shout out to Colgate? Yeah which won 20 games for the first time in school history. And then it was a Kempom that said that Brown is the only like original D one member that doesn't have a 21 season. 
That is correct. That is, and, and and Brown could still get there. I was going to say, let me, yeah, they're 17 and nine with four games left in the regular season. Um, and they're in, they're currently tied for fourth place in the Ivy league right now. So they could, they could theoretically get there too. Yep. Colgate has made the NCAA tournament twice. In 1995 and 1996, they were a 16 seed both times and actually played their opponents tough. Just looking at the final scores, lost to Kansas by 14 points, 82 to 68 in 95 and lost to Yukon by nine points, 68, 59 in 96. So good for them. They've never won a postseason game outside of their conference tournament. I went to in the NCAA tournament and they lost their first CBI game in 2018 to San Francisco. And that'll be a fun one too, because um, like they're obviously tied with, with a Bucknell team that put up 118 over the weekend and then went out and lost to, lost to a bad Navy team tonight. So that's a, that's a pretty big swing to go from scoring 118 to 64 in a span of two games. And and that's huge. If that costs them the conference, yeah. Like imagine having a chance to secure home court for a potential Patriot League championship game, and you go out and you lose to Navy. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the danger of some of these these late season games, and that's why I think it's so important not to like take everything for granted and say that X Y Z is going to happen because. I mean, two, with two games left to play, like there's like you, for some teams, like all the work they've done for the entire season could be lost. I mean, like look what happened to Lipscomb. They had been talked about as an at-large team for weeks upon weeks. They go out and crap the bed one time against Florida Gulf Coast and that all of that just kind of crumbles. Now, obviously right. it's not on the same scale as, as what happened to Bucknell, but I think in the grand scheme of things, like you, you can't be too like too careful in terms of projecting how things are going to shake out before like a bracket or something is set in stone. Let's actually let's talk about the Summit League next, yeah. and you could tell me if anyone is going to beat Mike Dom. I would heavily advise against betting against just because one because <laughs> they're still the best team in the league. Um, and they, they have such an advantage playing that tournament in Sioux Falls. Like they draw huge numbers and it's such a having like essentially having a home game it on a neutral floor. It, it with a team of that talent, they they're already operating at an advantage. They don't need all the extra help they can get. Um, I, I personally hope they win it just because I think they're one of the most exciting teams we cover just in terms of how they play and the talent they have. And right. Kind of going back to the Chris Clemens discussion. Like, I think we'd all love to see Mike Dom the tournament one more time to see if he can finally get that, that elusive win that's evaded him for his entire career. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, when I was filling out my Jerome, I took Omaha to win. And that was only a somewhat strategic move. Just knowing everyone would take Mike Dom. And South Dakota State. Yeah, I mean, if I wasn't, if I didn't pick, or if I don't pick South Dakota State, they they would be the team that I pick. They shoot the ball well from three. They don't turn it over. Um, it looks like they they've won eleven of their last twelve. And the, I mean, they beat South Dakota State a couple weeks back on a buzzer beat. Like they they have a they have a shot, but it just I think the the home court advantage that South Dakota State would have really kind of gives them the upper yeah hand. and and that's and that's fair i just i did it in an opportunity to try to get try to gain points on people um and yeah for, for all the reasons you just said they take care of the ball they shoot the three number one rated offense in the conference also have uh two guys on the all ken palm team for the conference if that means anything at all and they've beaten south dakota state once already so i figured what the hell why not give it a try yeah. uh if it pays off, then you'll be. You'll be does pretty... uh, does Fort Wayne have a shot? Do we get to see John Conchar in the tournament? Yeah, I think any any team like them that that shoots a lot of threes and can hit them at a high clip, it's it's kind of like 
it's a make or miss strategy. If they're on, they can really give you problems, but they really don't play a whole lot of defense. And I think that's ultimately probably going to be their un, undoing, but they, they definitely would can, can do it. John Conchar is, it's really kind of a shame that he's had to be in the conference at the same time as Dom, because he's one of the most unique players in all of college basketball that doesn't get the recognition he really deserves. Um, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Fort Wayne win it. I, I think they can do it. All right. Uh, we're going to take one more break and then come back to talk about two conferences that I think will probably um, evoke a lot of discussion. Back here on the Mid-Major Bandits podcast, we have two more conferences wrapping up their season today, uh, season this weekend. Uh, one of them is the SOCON, and that is a conference that has elicited a lot of talk from a national level um, because, I, again, like the Ohio Valley, they have a very clear top four teams, and a couple of them have decent uh, at-large cases to make, which is not something you often see from the SoCon. Of course, it all starts with Wofford at 24-4 and overall and 16-0 and in the conference. Yeah, and I think the big thing for them is like, are they going to be subjected to the at-large talk? Or are they just going to roll through the tournament and put all that discussion in, to bed and elevate maybe a UNC Greensboro or a Furman into that discussion instead? I, I'm really happy that Wofford seems to have, at, at least in a uh, matter of public opinion, seems to be a solid at-large choice right now. Yeah. Um, we've gone over the resume before. I think the biggest thing that helps them is that their only losses have been to high major teams and three of the four were on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just the fact that they haven't lost since mid December. I mean, we don't have to rehash all of this again. It, they could get upset. And if they do, maybe you're looking at UNC Greensboro who wins this conference they have been on fire um, in conference play. That really, save for back-to-back losses against Furman and Wofford. That, that's the thing. The, the teams that aren't Wofford have kind of yeah. beat up on each other, which is why you're not really hearing much at-large discussion outside of maybe, maybe Furman. Furman had a, has had a little bit of buzz, but I think they're still yeah. a decent, decent ways out of it. J- Jerry Palm projects them as one of his first teams out at the moment, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, win over Villanova certainly helps. Win over Loyola Chicago helps. Uh, problem is they don't have a whole lot more than that. ETSU, decent win. Greensboro, but those were both at home. Um, if they had... And if they had beaten Wofford at home last Things weekend, would have gotten real interesting. it would have gotten really interesting. Um, maybe depending on how the bracket shakes out, if they knock off Wofford and then like lose in the championship game, maybe then it's more of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, maybe like Belmont, they'll be one of those teams that ha- has a case to make. will be on the board late, but will probably fall a little bit short. Yeah. And the, as it stands right now, they're in the, that four seed. So they would, it would set up a, a chance to get Wofford in the semifinals and then have a chance to, to pr- pick off like a UNC Greensboro or a ETSU in the championship game. But yeah, I, I, like you said, they've just kind of all beat up on each other and it'd be a little bit better if like just one of those teams kind of also, handle their business and maybe only add losses to Wofford instead of all kind of tanking each other's resumes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that is certainly correct. It would also help. It's going to be a Sorry. great tournament. <laughs> I'm. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Watch. Um, and, and the tournament is going to have stars, mm-hmm. which, which, which always makes it fun. Uh, we know Fletcher and Cameron Jackson for Wofford and Matt Rafferty for Furman, as well as Jordan Lyons. Um, they've got names, 
and that it's it's just going to be fun to see them all in one place, kind of go, going head to head. Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, this is a conference that's kind of that's actually gotten a pretty steady amount of national coverage. Um, I know uh, Matt Norlander of CBS had had a good section of his column today on Wofford and Furman's obviously had their moments and you know Greensboro and East Tennessee State have been in the spotlight the last couple of years so there is a little bit of you know national recognition which I think when there's extra eyes on a, a tournament like the SoCon it's always a little bit more exciting yeah absolutely uh if if you had to pick right now would you say Wofford is is who you're going with yeah I mean <laughs> they haven't lost I'm, I'm yet, gonna pick right. them until they lose like yeah, I, like we talked about it on a podcast that ultimately was lost to the big airwaves in the sky. But we, we talked about how we thought that like we wouldn't have been surprised if Furman beat them. But Wofford's they're right. just so so good offensively, and they're so tough to guard with as as well as they shoot it. And having a guy like Cameron Jackson down low, it's it, it's really kind of a luxury. I think. Are they in the running to have like the best record ever of a SoCon school? Better than that that Steph Curry Davidson team? Was that what Norlander was writing today? I didn't see Norlander's column, but I'm going to text John right now and ask there him, and he is going to respond very fast. So give me a second. Yeah, text text our Southern Conference encyclopedia. While we wait on that, last conference to talk about that wraps up play this weekend is the West coast conference. And obviously Gonzaga is a runaway favorite. I think you gotta be stupid to pick anyone, but them to win. Um, but maybe St. Mary's has something to play for here in, in terms of an at, an at large case, but we were discussing this earlier today. Uh, Chris, you, you and I don't really get it, but the computer seemed to like them. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're 19 and 10. I'm pulling up their team sheet right now. They're one and five against Q1 teams. Their only win was on the road against a good New Mexico State team, but that's not going to have the same cachet as a a win over LSU or a Mississippi State would have had. Two and two in quadrant two games. Um, it, like you said, the computers love them. Like Ken Palm rates them really well. They're 39 in the the net, which is like right, like kind of in that range. They have a really they played a really good schedule. Like their strength of schedule numbers are good, but like as far as an at-large team, I just I have my a hard time like really seeing how you could rationalize them getting in. Like when you look outside of just the computer numbers, I agree. And they do close the regular season at home against Gonzaga. So obviously, if they win that game, the conversation changes. If you're gonna assert yourself and get yourself into the tournament, that's going to be the game to do it. (laughs) Right. Uh, They are at a bit of a disadvantage in terms of the conference tournament goes because um, they are, I believe a half game ahead of BYU right now. BYU has one game left that is against San Diego and St. Mary's still has to play Gonzaga again. So there's a possibility that, they could get stuck with the three seed as opposed to the two. Although, as I say it, that doesn't really matter that much, right? Because BYU and St. Mary's would be on a collision course for the semifinal anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, that that would be a really interesting one to watch. I mean, San Francisco could theoretically get into that discussion too. They're nine and five, and I mean, if yep. they have home games against uh, San Diego and Marymount, so. They could theoretically, yeah. There could be a situation in which we have two or three teams tied. Yeah, you're, you're right. And whoever gets the four seed is screwed. Yep. <laughs> because then they have to play Gonzaga Sorry. in the semis. Sorry about it. Sorry. Yeah, one thing that I think is kind of interesting about that that Gonzaga-St. Mary's game is Gonzaga is only projected to win by eight. And like, they've had it. <laughs> they've obviously been winning games at like a historical margin. I just thought that was kind of funny. Obviously, it's a computer number and i would be surprised if it's that close and i would love for it to be close because i i liked i think gonzaga could use a little bit of a challenge but yeah you know we'll see 
Gonzaga just beat BYU one hundred two to sixty eight. It's kind of obnoxious, like how badly they're beating. It, teams. it is, and 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 BYU. I listen. They're not a great team, but they're not. It's the top one hundred thirty four points worse than like than Gonzaga. And like for for as like Rose and few that have had like some really good games over over the last couple of years. It's you don't really see one kind of get the best of the other like by that significant of a margin, like ever. Right. And <laughs> yeah, the, the two games was 93 to 63 and 102 to 68. That's obnoxious. I was, a I was actually talking to a guy that had DM me on Twitter today and he was asking like, who I th- like, who do I think is like the most likely to win the national title right now? I threw out like the, the normal names like Duke, Gonzaga, I think, like Virginia, North Carolina, all have really good shots. And he's like, I think Gonzaga is going to get upset in the second round. And it took everything in me. Like, like Shut you're up. a dumbass. Like, you can, there's not like, I can't even like try to like even like try to fathom a, like an argument for that take outside of just LOL Gonzaga chokes, which. Yeah, like, which, which is false. No, uh, and I I went on Gonzaga rants in both of the podcasts that were ultimately lost, so I'm not going to do the whole thing again. But suffice it to say, Gonzaga has performed to the level of its seed in the NCAA tournament or better each of the last five years. So and this is this is the best Gonzaga. It, there's just not the best Gonzaga it's false. team. Ever. Yes, <laughs> and, and this team is probably better than the team that went to the national championship game and had a lead in the final two minutes of that game. Yeah, like. Their offensive numbers are like historic, like in terms of just like efficiency. It's insane. Right. Uh, on another note, I have heard back from John. All right. And John says that that Davidson team with uh, with Curry went twenty and zero in oh seven oh eight, um, but points out that the league was a lot different back then. It didn't have four teams in the top sixty five of the net, or I guess the RPI as it was used then. They finished twenty nine and seven overall, so nobody has equaled Wofford overall. And I guess Wofford would be trying to pull off another undefeated season. I don't think they would get to twenty and no, I think oh, they'd get to what is it, eighteen, be 19 right, 19. eighteen or nineteen, yeah. right? Um, but you know, it was still a perfect record. So there's the answer to that question. I guess <laughs> there's our trivia for the night. <laughs> Yeah, well, we don't have Cam on, so we have to. We outsourced it to SoCon John. <laughs> he he should host like a SoCon like Jeopardy style show or something like that, or like a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Well, he he should, except he should be the host and all three contestants. All <laughs> the contestants. We can't. Oh, we we love John. He just knows everything there is to know about the SoCon. I I wish I knew as much anything about literally anything. <laughs> anything as he knows about SoCon athletics. It's wild. It's, it's alarming. And impressive. <laughs> also a little concerning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we have anything else to add or should we get out of here? Uh, we touched, do you want to do a little bit on Utah state real quick since they've got the, oh, yeah. the big matchup against uh, Nevada coming up. Good call. Utah state, another team that is starting to creep into the at large conversation. Uh, ranked number 39 in Ken Palm, 23 and six overall. They've lost just once, um, in their last 13 or yeah. In their last 13 games have a big one against Nevada on Saturday. Ken Palm actually projects them to win that game. Uh, talked a little bit about Utah state on a previous podcast. I can't remember if it was one that didn't actually make it. I, I think it did. I, th- I think we did. Yeah, I think that was one that, that, one that made it out. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know a little bit about them by now. What, what do you think? I mean, it's they've kind of just slowly but steadily been creeping up like like both the computer metrics and like into into the brackets right now. Bracket Matrix has them as a 12 seed in the field. Um, I saw I think it was. um Eli earlier did a blind resume comparison between um, Minnesota and Utah State, and, and Utah State very clearly had the better resume. 
Um, they're, they're 33 in the net. And I mean, they're kind of similar to um, St. Mary's in that they just don't really have like that one great win that you really kind of point to and say like, this is going to be the, the one that really gets them into the NCAA tournament right now. They're probably pointing to that neutral court win over St. Mary's as the one. That That is big. If say that last spot comes down to the two of them head, head to head could be a big factor, but they have that game against Nevada yep. this week. The and, same situation St. Mary's is in with Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. And Nevada has shown they're vulnerable. They lost mm-hmm. last week to San Diego state. Um, they were in a really competitive game with Fresno State um, over the weekend. I would not be shocked by at all if Utah State were to win this weekend. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be either. And as I mentioned in the last podcast that you guys heard, I, I came away pretty impressed with them, even in their loss to San Diego State. Uh, so it'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah, and, and they just beat San Diego State last night. Yeah, they did. That one is 8.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network on Saturday. So amid all of the um, conferences who are ending their seasons, that'll be one to kind of tune into. That Gonzaga St. Mary's game. What time is that? Uh, 10. So we get pretty oh, pretty solid, uh, solid nightcap coming up Saturday. And then we'll have oh, man. probably a lot of conferences wrapping up and brackets coming out. So Saturday night's going to be fun. I'm yeah. excited. I think the only problem is usually like on those Saturdays full of college basketball, I'll get up, I'll watch the noon games and then I'll nap Mm -hmm. for the uh, two o'clock games and then watch the rest of the night. I may not be able to nap on Saturday with everything happening. No, probably not. Or I'll just like put a message in Slack like, hey, I'm going to be offline for a couple hours. Someone take over and then no one knows why. And it's because I'm sleeping. Yeah. It's going to be a, a multiple multiple pot of coffee day. Yes. Absolutely. I'm excited. I can't wait. This, but like By the time a lot of people listening to this, it will be March, and we will have gotten the posts off. Are you, are you doubting that I could turn around the editing on this fast enough? No, I'm just saying that if, like, there's a chance, like, people might listen to this on Friday. Right. To get ready That's for the true. weekend. That's true. Because this probably won't go up till like Thursday afternoon and then listen to it, <laughs> you know, during the commute on Friday. That makes sense. March is more of a mindset, really, than a friend. That's right. A, a period of time. To me, it's always March. <laughs> it's March right now. Live your life like every month is March. That's right. Get, now I'm imagining like one of those, like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I'm, ima- <laughs> I'm imagining a poster like that with John's headshot. <laughs> live every m- month like it's March. John Rothstein, Chris Shooty. 75 people on Twitter. <laughs> did you uh did you get a chance to watch his um thing on CBS? His what was the, yes. the title of it? The interview he did with uh Mahalik from Hofstra? Yes, I did I did watch it. Uh, it, it was great. They went out to uh, an Italian restaurant out there on Long Island. Actually, I watched it with my family and they informed me that they went and ate at that same restaurant uh, when they visited Hofstra with my sister. So it was uh, they, they gave it a great review, by the way. And I wish I remembered the name. It looked like great content. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I must have been watching something else. But I want to see if there's like an archive of it so I can go back and it- yeah, the, the most important takeaway from that is that, yes, John does drink pasta sauce with a straw. That's a little bit alarming. It is, but I'd be open to trying it. I, I want to see what the fuss is about. I, I would think the consistency would be probably be kind of a little bit like a milkshake or like a smoothie. Yeah. It wouldn't be like completely chunky, but it wouldn't be probably wouldn't be completely liquefied. I think it depends on what you get because they probably have really good pasta sauce there they do i'm sure yeah i'm sure they're not like cracking open the ragu we're not we're not doing ragu slander on this podcast. (laughs) no i have nothing i have nothing against it i'm you know yeah just saying all right we should get out of here before we (laughs) go further down that rabbit hole yeah all right uh enjoy the games everybody um just want to 
remind you, we are now available on pretty much every platform where you get your podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, uh, they are what iTunes, Stitcher. What are the other ones? Spotify, Spotify. I don't know. I have them all linked somewhere. Overcast. The ones whose name overcast, but wherever you get your podcast, we're there. Yeah. Stuff we haven't heard of, whatever it is. Wherever you get your podcast, find us and subscribe. Also, be sure to uh, rate and review us if you have nice things to say. Uh, helps us out. And for Chris Judy, I'm Russ Steinberg. Enjoy the games this weekend. And next week, we will try to make sense of it all for you. Have a good one.